episode number 19 with John Williams. Welcome to In It to Win It. This is Stevie B. And Dan G is off on a uh, real estate uh, venture. He uh, he won't be joining us today. So today it's just uh, you and me and Mr. Williams. Uh, Daniel's getting his uh, uh, real estate license. And uh, <laughs> if it uh, goes in line with our plan of a crashing uh, housing market, that's going to come in quite handy for uh, him and I. Uh, so I appreciate him doing that. Thank you, Daniel. Um, this week, we have uh, John Williams of uh, shadowstats.com is his website, and what John has done is uh, uh, pretty interesting. Um, the government uh, reports uh, statistics. They report CPI, unemployment, GDP, the money supply, and the dollar index, and they've been adjusting things like uh, uh, these statistics over the years. And John has become an expert in finding the real numbers and uh, not calculating in those adjustments that they have made um, to uh, uh, and, and to give us the real uh, the real numbers, the real math. Um, so very interesting interview. Uh, quite a uh, he's probably forgotten more about e- economics than I'll ever know. And uh, it was um, it was a lot of fun to have him on. I hope to have him on in the future. Um, Let's see. Oh, Daniel and I uh, ordered uh, from Miles Franklin from uh, Andy Sheckman. Very easy, uh, just over the phone. Um, Sent him an email and uh, with the uh, order amount, uh, we sent him a check. Once uh, once your uh, check and account is in the system, after that, uh, all it takes is a phone call. Um, So pretty cool. Once the check clears, uh, they got to wait 10 days. And then after that, they ship you off your precious metal. So uh, that should be arriving shortly, and we can tell you how that process is. If you'd uh, like to secure yourself some physical precious metals, go to milesfranklin.com, uh, give them a call over the phone number, send them an email, and they'll give you their inventory list. Uh, There's some of the best prices that I've seen, and if you put in the email or tell them over the phone that you heard it on In It to Win It, Andy will give a little kickback to the show. It doesn't cost you an extra dime. And uh, you get to give back to your uh, favorite show and keep this train running. Um, I also want to give a, uh, uh, a shout out to a video series that uh, I've watched. I think I'm on the third time of watching it. It is an amazing video system on the world economic system and uh, the monetary system. It's by Mike Maloney. If you go onto YouTube and you just type in hidden secrets of money he's got uh, maybe 10 videos on there each about half an hour or so in length and he describes the history of the monetary system and it really gives you a good picture of where we are today and uh, how to um, um, how to prepare for it Um, you know I think that uh, at at least for Daniel and I that this is just an educational show and and um, Probably one of the best things you can do is invest in your education, especially uh, uh, at this unique time uh, where we are in history. You can only take the hand that you're dealt, and uh, this hand that we're dealt, um, I think uh, uh, the interview that we have coming up with uh, 
with John and what you'll learn in that video series of Hidden Secrets of Money, um, I believe will uh, better prepare you for, uh, for the future. So, without uh, further ado, John Williams. John Williams, thank you for coming on the show. Steve, thank you so so much for having me. Yes, yes. It. Uh, I only recently um, uh, heard of you. Well, we had Andy Sheckman on the uh, show uh, last week, and one of his suggestions was he said, uh, you really got to talk to uh, Mr. Williams. And, you know, it's like when you hear one thing, you start hearing it over and over. And I've been watching a bunch of Mike Maloney's videos uh, and you were mentioned back in videos all the way to, uh, 2011. So I thought, uh, this guy is quite the rock star, uh, in the, um, uh, financial and economy world. And, uh, uh, I just really wanted to have you on the show. So, um, I was hoping you could give, uh, maybe a two minute, uh, bio on how you got into economics and, uh, what brought that brought you to, uh, shadow stats and and just going through the numbers and coming up with the real ones today sure um i um, went to dartmouth uh, college in the uh, amos tech business school uh i was looking to go into business with my father the company that imported uh, chainsaws from germany and and i did i i completed both my education and and went into the uh the, the family business I majored in economics at uh, at Dartmouth and did a lot of econometric modeling at uh, at Tuck and I could see all sorts of ways of reporting the economy and estimating it that were not being pursued. Uh, the family business eventually sold out to the manufacturer in Germany. I was involved in currency trading and other things there, all of which was good practical knowledge. Oh, yeah. At that point, I looked I looked to uh, uh, combine the various things I'd been working on into a package that uh, would provide me with a, a solid consulting base as an economist. I hired a, uh, a brilliant mathematician out of uh, one of the largest computer companies, did a lot of modeling there, worked together, and we developed some unique econometric models aimed at forecasting the economy into the future. Now, all an econometric model does is it takes uh, uh, various variables that you think might affect the economy, let's say uh, income versus retail sales. And uh, you combine them in a way that you take actual income numbers and retail sales in the future, presumably with a leading relationship um, that you can then predict it. There are big grand scale models of the economy out there and you could predict two to three years out in the future. The only problem with those, with those models, the only problem is you don't have that kind of a lead time with hard numbers. If, if I wanted to use one of those models to predict inflation rates next year, I'd first have to plug in um, what, what's the inflation rate going to be next year. And I can tell you if I knew what the inflation rate was going to be next year, you didn't need the model to tell me where the inflation rates were going. So what we did was we, we, we created some unique models based solely on actual numbers, leading indicators as to where things were going. And uh, with that, we could predict things six to nine months into the future with some degree of accuracy. And it uh, worked well and sold well. Uh, the only problem was the government, this is back in the uh, 
uh, 70s. That was going to be my question. When was this? Okay. <laughs> Late 70s, early 80s. And then um, the government uh, started changing the way they reported the numbers. <laughs> they weren't consistent with the past, and that blows apart all sorts of things. Yes. I, I that was in at, 1980 they started adjusting that? or, or? Well, they, in, in terms of the CPI, Consumer Price Index, mm -hmm. it was uh, – they're talking about it early 80s. It was 82, 80, it was 81, 82, 83 that uh, things were discussed and actually implemented. And the idea, the whole concept behind this change was uh, – and uh, what, you, what you have to keep in mind is that up through this point in time, things have been reasonably stable in, in the way things were reported. Inflation was beginning to pick up. And that meant the federal government had to increase the cost of living payments on uh, Social Security. So they tried to find ways they could bring down the, the reported cost of living that got plugged into the equation there. And what, what they did, and, and, and this was the, the first big change, was they uh, uh, changed the housing component of uh, of the of the the consumer price index, the the, the consumer inflation. Okay. Part of it. Um, it had, the original uh, component had included something as crazy as the cost of buying a new house, um, <laughs> and that was a just a portion of it because not everyone's buying a new house each month, but buying a house is an element, and then you had. Uh, rents and all sorts of things. What they changed was they, they eliminated all of that and, and replaced it with a concept called uh, homeowner's equivalent rent. And that was the, where the government would determine what a, an average homeowner would uh, pay himself in rent to rent his own house. Okay. Uh, which uh, had no basis in underlying re reality. Uh, and it was uh, uh, the, the actual month-to-month -month inflation was calculated from the standpoint of how much the homeowner would then raise a rent on himself each month. Okay. The effect of the change was that it knocked one and a half percentage point off the annual inflation rate. Um, just that one change. And okay. uh, put that in perspective, given the headline inflation of the, not that what we're, where we are right now, but in uh, 2020, uh, I think the uh, total annual inflation then was something like 1.3%. So uh, if you added back in what they'd taken out with these uh, gimmicks, you would have doubled the inflation rate last year. Uh, and it got worse. Over time, they came up with all sorts of ways of substituting things and shifting winnings around, uh, people going from malls to or from, from uh, local stores to malls. The whole concept behind the CPI was the cost of maintaining a constant standard of living. And uh, what they did was they removed the constant from that, that equation. Uh, I tracked it over time. I took great offense as to what was being done. It got real bad in the 90s. Uh, and anyone who uh, wants to get some sense of what was being discussed, just do a quick Google search on Gingrich and CPI, and you'll find a whole list of articles. Uh, Newt Gingrich at the time was uh, Speaker of the House, and uh, he had a, uh, he, 
he suggested to Catherine Abrams, who was then the head of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, gee, if you could only find a way to change these numbers here the way we'd like it, well, we might be able to find you some more money for you in the budget. Huh. It was all political. Nothing legitimate in terms of giving people an average, I mean, an, an actual fair cost of living adjustment. Nothing based in reality. Nothing based in reality. And the, the government's straightforward in terms of what they do here. It just doesn't get much press. Uh, and they've, ca- they've shown all the changes they made. What I did was I just reverse engineered it. I, I lived through the times. Mm-hmm. But I reverse engineered it. What would the CPI look like if uh, they hadn't done that? Yeah. And uh, it, it makes it, it's made a significant difference over time. If you look at the... Uh, I guess we just had the June um, CPI. Yeah, five point uh, was it five point four? Five point four percent. What they reported. Had, yeah. had they not had they not made all these redefinitions to the series, so there was no longer a constant standard of living. Um, you'd have been up thirteen point four percent. Wow, that's a significant difference. Now my yeah. number, the, the alternate. Right there, that my number is a 41-year high. Uh, the headline number at 5.4% was a 13-year high, but guess what? It was only uh, two-tenths of a point away from a 41-year high. We're, 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 we're real close from that standpoint. This is a very serious uh, inflation circumstance. I um okay so the uh, the government has a vested interest in um not telling us 13.4 and instead telling us 5.4 because they have to do cost of living increases for things like social security correct that's correct that's the primary that and the reason for that uh, it's not that they want to cheat the average person which is what they're doing mm-hmm. um the the, the 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 motivation behind it is trying to contain the budget deficit because the cost of living adjustments raise all the social security payments and that increases the expenditures and the deficit. Uh, so if they can keep the, however they can keep it down, that will help the uh, budget deficit. That's the, that's the motivation. Okay. Okay. And what? Um, uh, who who decides and uh, uh, what 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 the uh, the CPI is? Is it the Fed or? No, it's uh, it's actually determined by Congress. Uh, or has been in uh, the calculations, they, they have economic consultants outside and, and the, the Fed is no help here. Okay. Um, but the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Congress has put the pressure on the Bureau of Labor St- Statistics to change things and they have done that over time. Uh, but at the, the time that uh, Gingrich was making his points, uh, then uh, Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan came up with, uh, he, he tried to argue the same way that, oh, they should change the numbers. It's to the Fed's advantage to have lower headline inflation. They're supposed to keep inflation low. And if the headline numbers are lower, it makes them look better. Okay. Uh, but here's, here, here, here was his suggestion. And again, keep in mind the, the, the concept of uh, a constant measure of a constant standard of living. Um, what he suggested was, well, you know, you have a substitution effect. 
Yeah. Let's say you like to eat steak, but steak gets too expensive. So you'll start buying chicken. Hmm. And so we can substitute the chicken in there instead of the steak in the CPI. That is so contrary to the whole concept. I, I, yeah. I, I, I fume every time I think about it. Because what you're looking at, place, I mean, I'm sure there are people like prefer chicken to steak, but you can make it a steak against hamburger, however you want to, want to look at it. Uh, the, the point is, it's you're looking to maintain a constant standard of living. And if you're maintaining a constant standard of living, you don't have to shift from buying steak to buying chicken in order to make ends meet. That is not maintaining a constant standard of living. They yes. violated the whole concept of the CPI as, as it was structured. So that when people, when they went on social security, they could continue to buy steak and not have to eat chicken or whatever knows whatever else they have have to end up with because it's all being substituted out in the CPI. Yeah. So they're getting the cost of living increase. I, I don't know if this is it, but let's say they report five point four. If they're getting a thousand dollars a month, now they're getting a thousand fifty four dollars a month instead of a thousand one hundred and thirty four dollars a month if it was thirteen four percent. Something along those lines. I can okay. tell you this. We're heading into um, uh, a very, uh, it's a very dangerous time right now with rapidly surging inflation. Uh, as you went into uh, this last, in, into June, uh, we're, we're still a little bit ahead in terms of time of the CPI, it's a CPI W that's used here for all urban uh, workers. Uh, for the third quarter, which will be used as a guide, which will be used as a determinant for Social Security uh, cost of living adjustments, third quarter of this year. Okay. But as we stand as of June, uh, you're up around 5.4%. That's probably going to be 8%, 9% in the third quarter. That will be the, the highest level in you know more than 40 years. Now you're saying they'll report eight or nine percent, or you're saying that's what it'll actually be? Oh, that's what they're going to report. Okay. We're in a, in a very dangerous period here of, of surging inflation. And uh, although that may sound good to the people who are on Social Security and such, uh, that gets paid to you next year. And at that point, your cost of living may be up 25% year to year, maybe yeah. up 50% year to year. We're in a very serious inflation problem, very serious financial, economic uh, inflation crisis right now because of the uh, the shutdown and uh, I mean I'm going to talk critically of the of the, both the Fed and the uh, uh, federal government here. Please but do. In fairness, this is an extraordinary circumstance. Both entities have operated to try and, and maintain the system in, in a stable uh, position. In a very difficult circumstance. I don't know that there's an easy solution to it, but the general outcome here is going to be much higher inflation than people are looking at. And I think the, it's going to take a while for the economy to uh, get back to close to where it was before. It, um, I, uh, I, I got into uh, this uh, probably six months ago. And since then, I've been studying it anywhere from two to eight hours a day. I just can't get enough of uh, uh, the, the economics of all of this. And um, okay, so if we could back up just one sec. Okay, you mentioned substitution is one way that they adjust the CPI. Is there, I've also heard there's weight and hedonic index. Can yeah. you uh, can you go into those? 
Well, it's it's, it's somewhat similar. It's hedonic quality. Okay. Uh, I'll see if I can think of a good example. Um, I heard of an example of uh, like uh, today's uh, cell phones are, are are much better than cell phones ten years yeah. ago, okay. and so well, they something yeah, like my, that. My friend, you, you you got it right. Okay. That's exa- that's that's exactly where it is. And I'll give you a very specific example for myself. Okay. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm not a high-tech guy. I use a computer uh, as a word processor. Uh, I use it for emails. Mm-hmm. I don't use it for accessing all the music and God knows whatever can be obtained. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm using it the same way I did 20 years ago. Okay. Now, from that standpoint, that's that's my that's my quality. That's that's what I need. Uh, the done a quality adjustment, though, for every new thing that comes in, every new twist, they um, say, well, you're getting more for your buck on the computer. Therefore, we can reduce the computer prices in our index. And uh, very simply, the computer I'm using right now cost me $1,100. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... Uh, that's about what I paid for the one before it some time ago. Mm-hmm. Yet, according to the way the numbers are calculated by the government, it only cost me $50 because <laughs> of all these wonderful hedonic quality adjustments that I don't use. You're getting so much more enjoyment out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm getting to talk to you. But that probably is worth at least uh, 500 bucks out of it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's half the cost right there. <laughs> Uh, and okay, so that's hedonic uh, quality. Uh, would you say that weight and substitution are pretty much the same thing, or is that more they're they're it's, substituting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's very close. Okay, yeah, but the thing is, you you shouldn't shift the the weight should stay constant, yeah. effectively constant over time. Yes, the substitution. What do they do? Well, um, the again they they, they shift. The people they they look at how people buy, buy products, and uh, you know they're uh, maybe they're buying them one time they're buying them uh, from the, the the small private stores and then it shifts to the uh, Costco type places center, or uh, the, the big shopping centers. Now that, okay. that's somewhat hedonic as well. I mean, I'd much prefer to deal with a local uh, store and many of the products I buy as opposed to fight the crowds out at the malls. Yeah. It's always been that way, but they keep moving it so that everybody's buying, buying it out at the malls, and uh, so, so the, you get biases that are built in from all these factors in terms of the uh, the quality, the, uh, the 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 ease, the style of life. It's not an easy factor, but it used to be. They just held it constant. They they, they left their weights constant, and had they done that, you'd have my numbers. Yeah, which is what the average guy is feeling, and I can tell you from uh, what I've seen with, it's we're not seeing just problems with the reporting of the CPI. Uh, directly related to that is some are some reporting qualities with the gross domestic product, the big measure of the, the economy. With the GDP, can can you give a quick for for our average listener? Can you give a quick uh, definition of what uh, gross domestic domestic product is? Sure. That's the government's estimate of the 
total level of economic activity in the United States. They put a dollar value on it. What we produce in a year, correct? Uh, basically, yes. And it's not just product, but services and intellectual property. Um, and it's, uh, it's they, they come up with an estimate in what they call nominal terms, which is before you adjust it for inflation. Uh, the problem is when you adjust it for inflation, and this is a funny thing because uh, all the CPI uh, machinations here have the same effect, uh, whether it's what you're paying in your, uh, uh, or what you're receiving in terms of your social security check, uh, or when you look at the headline economic statistic, the way economic statistics usually are reported or reflected, they're not always reported that way, but they're reflected that way by economists, is net of inflation. I mean, for example, retail sales, uh, and I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me at the moment, but uh, they were, uh, let's say where they were flat last month, but inflation was 2%, then uh, net of inflation, they would have been down 2%. But mm -hmm. if that inflation numbers overstated, which really down 5%, then real re re retail sales would have been down 5%. Hmm. Uh, that's, nobody gets much into that, but where it comes comes to a head is with the gross domestic product, the, the broad measure of the economy. Yeah, And they've made all sorts of changes to the way they, deflate, which means they take the inflation out of the numbers. And where the, uh, uh, you, you, you've seen growth in the economy for, well, we have, we've had, aside from the collapse, uh, where we had growth into that collapse and had the collapse and now it's growing, growing fairly strongly, but it has not recovered. There's some very major points to be made there and some interesting things about to happen next week. Uh, the um, if, if you looked at it on a consistent inflation basis, uh, the economy's never been that strong. Hmm. They, they, they keep the, the, the inflation used in the GDP is not dependent upon the CPI. The people who report the, the GDP, again, this is all out of the Census Bureau, Bureau of Economic Analysis. They have their own ways of calculating inflation using things including the, the CPI, uh, but they can do anything that they want. There are ways of shifting things around and all the wonderful uh, technical things that they've added to the CPI over time, they're, everything there is, is in there in the CPI, excuse me, in the, in the GDP deflation to the, to the extreme. Uh, I figure right now that the headline GDP in terms of year-to-year -year change is, um, overstated by about two percentage points. And while that might not make too much difference when we're still uh, still in a crash, economic crash, uh, although they're beginning to get close to a recovery there, and I'm saying it's still gonna be a while off because of the way they report the numbers uh, in, term, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the GDP. Uh, you go back over the last 10 years, average economic growth per the GDP has been about 2%. So what I'm saying is effectively the economy has been flat net of actual inflation. Okay. And, and there are a lot of things that show that. And uh, 
it, it affects the political spectrum as well, because the average guy has a pretty good sense of what's actually happening to him. But we have some very interesting things ahead of us in the next uh, week or so. What uh, what do you see coming up in the in the next week or so? Well, next uh, next uh, on on Friday, the uh, no, it's Thursday or um, Thursday, July okay, the twenty ninth, July twenty ninth. Um, we get the annual benchmark revision to the gross domestic product. Ah. Well, that's the. That's the uh, headline uh, economic activity. And uh, shy of the pandemic, it had been growing into the pandemic. Uh, no longer. I mean, it, it may, that may still be the case, but it's not going to be as strong as it was. Uh, what you have to keep in mind is that each of these agencies, including the Federal Reserve, revises goes and comes out with benchmark revisions each year on their major series as they get better data. And um, the Federal Reserve has been remiss in the last couple of years. They, they, they missed two years of benchmark revisions. They just came out with a, a, a benchmark revision having missed two years before. So three years for benchmark revision. And uh, what it did was it knocked five percentage points off the level of industrial production uh, in it as, as in its reporting as of uh, uh, April or May. And huh. uh, that's significant. And that's uh, the, the industrial production is a significant portion of, of GDP. GDP. So that as the industrial production rise, revises downward, GDP is going to be revised on Thursday. Uh, that should it will take it lower. There are yeah. other factors involved, other obviously than uh, industrial production, which is far from the dominant factor, which is a major factor. Uh, but you also have, you're going to have downside revisions in, in housing. Uh, you're going to have a, a deeper uh, trade deficit. Uh, you had uh, some downside revisions in retail sales, payroll employment, where the economy coming into the pandemic uh, was growing or mar marginally growing. Mm -hmm. uh, it could, with all the revisions, there's a potential here that it could be revised lower to show that actually the economy peaked in uh, late 2018 after the Fed started raising interest rates. And that's, that's I think that's why they didn't come up with their benchmark revisions. <laughs> And, and as a result, if that's a peak, peak in GDP and it starts to go lower, and maybe the GDP will just still flatten out, maybe at a little lower pace, but if that's the peak, the National Bureau of Economic Research, which in this last week just, uh, declared uh, recession's over, only two months of recession. Hallelujah. Hmm. Um, everything they said there was accurate, except it's nonsense. Uh, <laughs> smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Well, no, it's not smoke and mirrors, but it's it's a smoke and mirrors. It goes back uh, to before uh, to after World War II. Let me tell you what happened there, and I'll bring you up to where I think we're going. Um, the Great Depression was a terrible time for anyone who lived through it. Mm -hmm. And before the Great Depression, and before any time the economy uh, contracted, 
which was a, considered a depression. Um, the depression was defined, and keep in mind, this is a depression, uh, in which you come down and you come back up. The, 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 the first part of it was a recession. You'd hit the trough, and then, and then it would start to recover. And mm -hmm. when it reached its pre-pandemic uh, pre, uh, uh, peak, or in this case, uh, depression peak, um, then that was an economic expansion. That's the way it used to be, and still is, except uh, the first time we had a recession after World War II, excuse me, well, it was, it was after World War II, after the Great Depression. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, the powers that be in the academic community decided it would be better to use a euphemism for a depression. And they named it a recession, which is silly, okay. because the recession is a negative part of the depression. The recovery is a positive part. You still have the, you still have the economic cycle is still that depression. You have a recession and then you have a recovery. So with the economic collapse, uh, the, the, the government shutdown of the economy, you could expect, yep, things just shut down, boom, boom, and you had a tremendous drop, biggest drop ever, uh, or at least uh, uh, post uh, Great Depression in, in the economy on a year-over-year -year basis as, as the economy was shut down. And then we've been inching higher. There have been some setbacks, but it's still well shy of recovery despite what you might hear about the GDP, which I can talk about otherwise. Um, so that you have, um, so the headlines are recession's over, boom, yeah, but the depression isn't. The depression is still ongoing. And as of uh, the June reporting, and the best number I can give you at present that uh, without going through any gimmicks or uh, shift or adulterations, Mm -hmm. is, is payroll employment. There's nothing more basic to the economy than employment. Yes. Now, um, on your site, uh, uh, shadowstats.com, um, you've got uh, uh, some graphs on here, and I'm looking at the one uh, for un the unemployment rate. And what um, uh, the government's reporting looks to be about uh, 6% or so. Uh, but what, uh, by your calculations, it looks like it's north of uh, 26%. Is that, is that accurate? That, well, it's, um, yeah, that's about right. Okay. And that's, um, that's related, not specifically to the, what's happening here with the cycle, but what, what, what happened, uh, where they, where they redefined, uh, elements of the, the CPI, the, the, the consumer price index and inflation. Mm -hmm. to understate it, uh, the government launched revisions to how they counted unemployment uh, just before NAFTA went into effect. The, the North, North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, can, can, can you just describe what, uh, what NAFTA is real quick? Yeah, it was the North American Free Trade Agreement, which uh, uh, reduced all sorts of trade barriers and in, uh, inter-country inter uh, fees and penalties, or uh, service, what, what the uh, what they call them uh, for imports and exports, and for imports, the the uh, there are the, the import charges and such. Okay, and uh, the effect there was to basically eliminate them, and as a result, you'd see some shifting of trade uh, production from the United States to Canada. 
hmm. and also to Mexico, which happened. Uh, but the effect there was not good for the U.S. economy. It was not good for the, not, not for the, the U.S. economy as measured by people who were employed in the U.S. economy. Yeah. And uh, the effect, uh, very simply, was that the uh, uh, average guy suffered, and they knew he was going to suffer. Hmm. Where it was where that suffering had been measured before, in the pre pre NAFTA, was in that you you have more than just the headline unemployment, which is called U three. That's just simply. Uh, uh, the number of people who are unemployed, but actively looking for work, uh, you have to be actively looking for work as a, as a percent of the uh, labor force. And the labor force was considered those who are unemployed plus those who are, um, or those who are employed and those who are unemployed. Okay. Having, yeah, you're the 6% and you're 26. That is a huge gap. What? Well, bear, uh, bear, bear, bear with me. Okay. The next, the next level is what they call U6, which includes discouraged workers, people who've been trying to find a job. Keep in mind, to be uh, counted as unemployed, you have to be actively looking for work. Now, if, you, if you've been actively looking for work and you can't find a job and you give up looking for work, in U6, you're still counted as unemployed. Uh, but you're uh, only counted if you've been looking for work in the last year. Okay. Uh, the what used to be prior to the redefinitions, uh, you were counted as a discouraged worker um, as long as you were looking for work or you you, you wanted to work but couldn't find uh, couldn't find a job because there are no jobs to be had. And, and, if, and if you were discouraged for more than a year, it didn't make any difference. As long as you uh, were looking, you wanted work, but you couldn't, you couldn't find it. There's no work available. Yeah. And uh, that was a big difference because what they did when they changed over and after, they redefined the discouraged worker to be discouraged only for one year. Okay. And, and, and after one year, you're no longer discouraged. Ah, that's why your graph. Okay, I understand. You're you're accounting for the people that uh, uh, have been unemployed for longer a year, longer yeah, than a those year. Are the, and... Those are the people who are just more discouraged for more than a year because uh, there are no jobs to be had. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, big 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 difference. But that drops off after twelve months' time in the government's formula. You're eliminated. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you, they, don't, they don't catch you anymore. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot more people that are not working than what we're led to believe. Uh, that's correct. These are people who would like to work, but there are no jobs to be had. Okay. Okay. I, um, I want to go over uh, and, and kind of um, tie this in and, and tell me if this tracks with you. I've been doing some research on the world monetary system over the last 150 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the first one uh, that we were on, uh, was the classical gold standard where you could take uh, paper currency and go to the bank and if it said $20 on it, you could get a $20 gold piece. Right. And we went away from that around nine, uh, 1914 after uh, World War I when we, war isn't cheap. 
and uh, we printed more than we had. And then we went to the gold exchange standard where it was a 40% ratio. And so you would have to take a uh, $100 uh, uh, paper currency into the bank to retrieve uh, $40 uh, dollars worth of uh, uh, gold piece. Um, then after World War II, again, we ran up the, uh, uh, the, uh, the credit card and, and wars are not cheap. And we had to switch over to the Bretton Woods system uh, because America had two thirds of the gold after the war, uh, Europe had none, and the rest of the world had to split, split the remaining third. And we realized the current monetary system wasn't going to work, so they went to the Bretton Woods system. And now every, curren every currency on the planet, except for a few, were now backed by the US dollar, which was backed by uh, uh, $35 per ounce. The problem with this system was there was no reserve ratio. And so they didn't say when they wrote into this that, uh, you know, for every 35 USD in existence, you have to have one ounce of gold. So they continued to print and countries caught on to this and they demanded uh, gold instead of uh, uh, US dollars. And Nixon realized that uh, this wasn't going to work or America was going to soon be out of all its gold. Uh, so he went to the global dollar standard where now all the currencies on the planet are backed by the US dollar, which is backed by nothing. And this happened August 15th of 1971. So we're, we're coming up on the 50 year anniversary of the whole world being uh -huh. on fake money. Is this, is this tracking, John? Yeah, that, that you're, you're absolutely uh, correct. And uh, I thank you for pointing out the uh, coming anniversary. Okay. I had, I had not thought of that. <laughs> yeah, get your party hat ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, th th this is almost a uh, a terrible climax to that as a happy birthday present. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gold. Um, what 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 you see now? What happened there with Nixon triggered everything else that followed that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the 1970 to 71, it goes off the coast. Yeah. At that point, up through that point in time, and I've tracked inflation over time and historical records and other people's estimates of it. And basically up through 1971, uh, the gold and the dollar, and we always have some variations, they, they tracked each other. Mm -hmm. The gold and the dollar were tied together. I mean, the, excuse me, the inflation rate. Uh, and uh, in, in the dollar and gold were tied together. The, you, you would, uh, w whatever happened with inflation also happened with gold. So the dollar was stable against gold as long as it was uh, in that circumstance and inflation remained stable generally over that period of time. Okay, so when we're on the gold standard, gold typically follows inflation. And when we're off the gold standard, inflation goes much faster. When we're off the gold standard, uh, inflation is created by the dollars. Uh, that's that's about what I'm about to get to here. Okay. Because what happened, uh, as as what what I did when they started changing the CPI, mm -hmm. that was in the early '80s. Nixon goes off in '71. Uh, uh, as you get into the early '80s, gold continued to rise because of domestic inflation gold reflects the inflation yeah. it's your basic standard over time as to maintaining a constant uh value of uh, of, of the dollar 
Um, so when they we got into the early 80s, what they said, well, we can't afford to pay out this uh, these adjustments on the cost of living adjustments. Let's let's cut them back. And they made changes there, and they made changes left and right with all the other areas you mentioned going down the road. Well, if I take what I took uh, in estimating uh, my index after the that first change in the CPI, um, and it's based on what the government the government estimated as to their their changes. Uh, I ended up with a new index that was a lot higher. And it's only the last couple of years that I actually plotted that against gold. And, and to my shock, uh, my, my graph and gold were very closely intertwined over time. Interesting. Uh, and and it's, uh, I, I couldn't understand that. What happened was when, when I created my index, uh, I based it in 1970, which effectively the is a hundred or such, very close to the gold price at the time, in in, in terms of the scale we're looking at here. And uh, so my index is at, ahead with all the stuff that had been been done to the CPI, and I've got it up over 1900 right now. That's my index. If you look at the year-end gold prices, which is what it plotted against that, they pretty much went up together and tracked. The gold tended to lead the inflation. Hmm. And uh, I mean, right now, my my index is at 1900 gold below that, but uh, pretty damn close. It, what, what my point is, it is tra the, the, the gold follows, excuse me, it leads the inflation, it anticipates the inflation, the people investing in gold have a sense of where things are going. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, I knew that basically happened, but I didn't know it was so close until I actually plotted them together. And huh. uh, you look at what's happening now, the, the gold markets get manipulated quite a bit over time. Uh, different parties come in and they'll hit it there, hit it there. It's, nobody likes to see, if you're a central banker, the last thing you want to see is a surge in gold price because you're not doing your job. Yeah. And right now, um, and due deference to the uh, all the difficulties that are involved, it's it, it's a very difficult time for a central banker. I wouldn't want to be uh, uh, the, the the Fed chairman at, at, at present because you've been faced with a a catastrophe, yeah. and there's no easy way out of it. I don't see an easy way out of it. They're doing what they have to do. They want to keep the system afloat. They've decided in order to do that, they have to surge the money supply. Right now, um, let me back off. As part of the process here, as they started to surge the money supply, mm -hmm. um, the headline M1, which is it was then the narrowest measure of the money supply, was surging up 60, 70% year over year. Um, Nothing like that had ever been seen before. That was all being reported on a weekly basis. So what did they do? Well, they decided they'd shut down the reporting of M1 and uh, instead of having, having it uh, weekly, it'd be monthly, delayed by a month. And then they redefined M1 to add in, M1 is your most liquid measure of the money supply. It includes cash and checking accounts, basically. 
Okay, it's currency in circulation and then uh, uh, check checking accounts in banks, correct? Checking accounts and other checkable accounts. Okay. But what they did and, and where, where that broke with M2, which was now the, their broadest measure, um, was that M2 was savings accounts. Okay. So the savings accounts being a little less liquid than the checking accounts. Things like uh, money market, uh, mutual funds, CDs, stuff like that are now included? Yeah. Okay. Well, what, the, what they did, uh, so, so they said, uh, what, what they did is they redefined M1. And they said, well, we've we eliminated reserve requirements back in May of 2010 as part of their emergency procedures, which effectively makes savings accounts as liquid as, as the uh, demand deposits, the checking accounts in, in, in M1. And, and at that point in time, M2 was where M1 was up, let's say, 50, 60 percent, but M2 was up uh, 20, 30 percent. There's been a flight to liquidity. I also continue to estimate M3, which they haven't published in uh, 15 years or so. Uh, and, and that that was maybe, it was a little bit below M2 in the in uh, year to year growth. So what happened- Yeah, they stopped reporting that in like 2006 or something, right? 2006, yes. Okay. But what, 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 what you find happening was that the, the cash was flowing from the less liquid assets, which the, the broader the money measure, the less liquid um, to the more liquid. More most liquid being M1, so what? So by a they delaying it, it you, you wouldn't see the rapid growth, and they then redefined it effectively as M2. They moved the savings accounts into M1, so hmm. that where M1 was maybe 18 percent of M2 before the redefinition. After the fact, it's 92 <laughs> percent. So M, M1 is effectively M2 these days. What I came up with. Because what's happening with the real liquid uh, cash is important, and um, so I just I'm, I'm reporting what I call basic M1, which simply is cash, the currency in circulation, and the time deposit, the uh, excuse me, the uh, checking accounts, demand deposits, okay, uh, which are the two major components of M1. What I can't report are the other. Uh, demand like deposits that they had there because they've merged that with the savings accounts in in the in the m1 measure but but my 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 basic m1 uh, not only is uh, 83% of the old m1 it also was the original definition of of the money supply back in 1948 and that was your money supply measure for 1971 and right now that's up over 80% year over year wow um, that, that's un, un, unprecedented, and I. But that, that's as of May. We're going to get June reporting next week. But the uh, one thing they have not shut off. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it uh, because it'd be terrible if they did shut it off. Is the weekly reporting of the monetary base, which underlies the, the money supply. And uh, this this comes out weekly. That's an important stat for you. Yeah, well, it gives you it gives you the currency in circulation and bank reserves, and the bank reserves they rise when there's a problem in the quality of the banking system. They have to back up the banks. Uh, there was a you, you had a banking crash in uh, uh, in, the, in the Great Recession. Uh, the banks collapsed. Mm -hmm. The Fed supported them, but you saw the uh, 
the, these reserves jump by four or five thousand percent year over year. They never wow. came back down. Now we're up uh, on a relative on a cycle basis, up record levels of 140 percent. It's getting worse, which means there's still some problems in the banking system. Uh, it's at record high levels. Uh, the currency is uh, currency in circulation year to year is at a record level, keeps growing. And the um, what it tells you is the system is not stable. Yeah. And, and where those reserves are still surging, although on a relative basis, it's not as bad as it was back in the banking crash. It's, it's uh, at a, a troubling level. Yeah. Um, okay. So on our, um, so the research I've done, uh, every single currency in, uh, in history has, has eventually failed. Uh, they all do. You can't take uh, continental dollars from the infancy of this country and go into Walmart and spend them today. Um, it, uh, and, and from what I can tell, uh, when these currencies fail, uh, for example, the U.S. dollar is a currency, uh, the Mexican peso is a currency, uh, the whole world's on, on fiat fake, fake currency now. Uh, when these fail, uh, precious metals, specifically gold and silver, kind of do an accounting uh, to balance the books. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Uh, however you want to measure them, um, they uh, maintain the purchasing power of the currency. Of, of whatever currencies in, in, in place or whatever had preceded it. Uh, you can go back to ancient Rome and uh, whatever amount of gold or silver you, and I'm, I'm including both gold and silver here, mm -hmm. whatever you need in the way of uh, whatever amount of gold or silver would buy you a loaf of bread, that would uh, buy you a loaf of bread today. Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, I was talking a monetary conference uh, a couple of years ago in New York, and the fellow there was running, running how his how his mother had, as a little girl, um, had so enjoyed going to Broadway shows, and her family was able to buy her uh, a seat in a, a third row center, which I think is considered the, the prime seat in a a Broadway house. Okay, and, and it cost them five bucks. And uh, my response very simply was, well, she still had that $5 gold piece. She could buy a, a third row center <laughs> Broadway seat today. She could still get the safe seat. <laughs> same seat. Same seat. It preserves the purchasing power of whatever currency is involved. It's, 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 uh, it was the original currency that's survived over millennia. Thousands of years. Yeah. But what can I tell you? Okay. So it's um, with all that's going on here, my suggestion to anyone is irrespective of whatever the price of gold is at the moment, mm -hmm. put some assets into physical gold. I'm talking physical. Don't leave it on deposit with someone or, you know. You're not talking about GLD on the uh, stock exchange. Right. Yeah. I'm talking about buying some gold coins and putting them in your pocket uh, or in a, in a uh, drawer. I knew a guy who uh, uh, actually built a safe in his sofa and filled it with gold coins. Hmm. Uh, the the point is, if you have the physical possession, you can control it. 
and I'm not talking just the, the gold coins, but the silver coins. What I'm looking at here is, is an extraordinary circumstance. Every, everyone knows we're living through an extraordinary circumstance. Yeah. Uh, no one's ever seen anything quite like this before. But the, uh, I, I do know how gold and silver behave over time. And uh, I can tell you that what the, what the Fed is doing today in terms of extraordinary money supply growth, and they, they, they can't, they can't get, cut back because they're afraid of a systemic collapse, which is a real risk. Yeah. You're going to keep doing it. And you're going to see inflation continue to soar. And the people are beginning to note it. You know, the price is really rising here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you can put some, if you can get some physical gold, physical silver, just hold it. Okay. Yourself. Uh, okay. That will that will save you in, in the event of a uh, absolute economic catastrophe here, which I, I view as a possibility, and probably an increasing one. The more you see the inflation uh, surge, it's 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 a very difficult time. I, I have great sympathy for the people in Washington who are trying to work this out because it's uh, uh, despite all the mistakes made in the past, you have to live with what's here. That's a very difficult circumstance because uh, the uh, Economy is not as strong as advertised. Uh, it's not going to uh, recover as quickly as advertised. And the uh, inflation, despite Fed's uh, claims that this is going to be temporary, until they can get to a point they can really uh, shrink the money supply, it's not going to be temporary. And, and they, they have no prospects of such a circumstance in the near future. Yeah. It um, taking a, a macroeconomic look. So uh, a quick uh, macro is a big view. Micro, think of it looking under a, a microscope, kind of a, a, a pinpoint view. So a, a big look view of the economy. Uh, what I hear you saying is the longer the government uh, does things like paying people not to work, uh, the faster um, the system is is going to uh, uh, be in trouble and, and fail. And the quicker the wealth transfer is going to to take place, um, but when times like this happen, although they are rare events, um, you can you can maintain your standard of living or even increase it significantly uh, by investing in uh, physical precious metals. And this is a unique time in history: is that the whole planet is on the the, the fake. Uh, currency system, we're probably the most fortunate in that a lot of the currencies are based on ours. Uh, so we'll probably be the the, uh, the last man standing, so to speak. Um, but uh, from what I can gather, uh, this seems like this is a, a very unique time in history in that many of these currencies have failed, gone, uh, you know, um, people were able to uh, put their uh, uh, currency into gold and silver and then transfer it over to whatever the new uh, monetary system is. But the entire world is on a, uh, uh, a fake uh, fiat currency, and we've never seen anything like this. Um, and we probably won't ever see an opportunity like this in our lifetime. Well, uh, a lot of what you say I agree with. It's an extraordinarily difficult time. Uh, I don't know that there's too much different that the given all the problems that led in 
led into the financial system coming into the crash. I mean, had you people rearranged things a decade or two ago, we could be in a better circumstance. Given where we were when the pandemic hit, uh, the uh, the Fed, the government have uh, done whatever they had to do to keep things afloat. Uh, and they're going to, uh, as I read them, they certainly will continue to do so, mm -hmm. uh, which means more uh, fiscal stimulus out of the federal government and a continued monetary growth out of the Fed, despite whatever they talk about. They'll, they'll throw out occasional bits. Oh, maybe we're going to start uh, tightening up a little bit uh, in, in two years. And they've got a we've got a Fed meeting coming up next week, which I'm sure will be something like that. And and maybe that'll make people feel a little better. But that's two years into the future. What they're doing right now is is uh, expanding as they have to. Uh, the the federal government's going to have to continue uh, politically uh, spending as it is, uh, or you you have an economic collapse and terrible uh, political repercussions. I hope that we can avoid the political, the uh, the, the economic collapse. I'm, I'm not sure that we can. I I, I think it's uh, they're, they're they're buying time. They're hoping something will work here. Um, we're, we're catching up on something that has uh, uh, been in the works for many years, accelerated by the the, the pandemic. Yeah, uh, and the uh, I just hope things can balance out over time and stabilize and that things can be brought down we don't have the inflation but personally i uh i'd like to protect my assets and uh put what whatever uh cash i didn't need immediately uh, and to try and uh and and into physical meaning physically owning yeah gold and some silver because we have a hyperinflation they both will tend to preserve your purchasing power but I've, I've talked with people uh, who lived through the uh, hyperinflation in uh, Weimar, Germany, and some of their children, uh, I'm both you know overlapping of ages, and I'm getting on a little bit my years. Um, there's some lessons from that, and the the uh, what what happened when it broke was very rapid. It's almost overnight. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the and we're moving in that direction, and and people are beginning to complain about the higher, higher prices. It's going to get worse in the months ahead, but at some point, it it, it accelerates, and and, uh, and your your money becomes worthless. You have the physical solid assets, and and there are other assets other than gold and silver, but those are the primary financial ones. Uh, an example. I got from one guy was uh, his father had uh, this during the Weimar Republic inflation after World War One. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he had uh, traded a shirt for a can of beans, and he brought the can of beans home for dinner for his family. He opened mm -hmm. the can of beans, and the can of beans is going bad. Hmm. Uh, nothing's nothing's perfect there, yeah. but you you people will find a way to survive. But if you have assets now that you can reserve and it can help you through a difficult time i would certainly love to do that yeah it um what percentage would you say uh of your net worth 
you should have invested in physical gold, and what percentage of your net worth would you say you should have invested in uh, physical silver? Well, it's, it, it, that, that varies by, by person. Yeah, yeah. I understand some people have higher risk tolerances than others, you, but... You, you, uh, you want to have enough invested to survive for a year if you can. Okay. Okay. And you judge that accordingly. Uh, you need silver along with the gold, and the reason for that is as follows. Um, given that uh, barter example, I just gave the guy trade his shirt for a can of beans. Uh, you go in with a even a half ounce gold coin and say, I want to buy that steak. Uh, you're overpaying for it in, in this type of circumstance. So if you, if I would, I would, um, I would look for the basic preservation of wealth to be in gold, but you also need some silver, let's say bags of silver coins. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that people stay with coins that are recognized in terms of mintage so that nobody wants to assay it. It's just acceptable. I mean, it like, you get bags of old silver coins. Uh, you can go in and trade a dime and buy your groceries for the week. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 it's, you need some small change to function, but the basic wealth storage, I'd, I'd, I'd keep in gold. Okay. Okay. So you're saying it would be, I, I was in Nicaragua for a couple of months, uh, 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 earlier, like a month ago. And, uh, I, I stopped by a couple of, uh, uh, jewelry stores down there and i found some some old 1800s uh uh nicaraguan uh, uh silver coins those would be a lot less valuable in america than a silver eagle or a canadian maple leaf correct i, I would imagine so but again yeah, i'm also, easier I'm to also, trade i'm also i'm also talking about you can buy bags of old silver quarters and dimes okay junk silver 90 percent junk silver but it, you don't you don't need a high premium uh, gold or silver coin. When when you get into the barter circumstance, it's a basic it's a basic uh, uh, metallic value. Okay. I mean, with, I mean, you can come with a oh a, a pirate doubloon that's worth five thousand dollars instead of two thousand dollars or ten thousand versus ten. Okay. Yeah, we're not looking for numismatics. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, uh, uh, John. This was uh, very informative, a lot of fun. Uh, if uh, people want to learn more about uh, you and uh, what you're doing and uh, keeping up the, uh, the good fight and just doing like uh, we're doing, we're just trying to educate people, you know, and uh, they can go to uh, shadowstats.com, correct? That is correct. And um, 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 what I, you go, to the, go there, um, I'm trying to address people a little bit as they get there, but right-hand column, it's the latest analysis of what whatever's come out of uh, uh, economic reporting or development. Just scroll down, it may look like it's a long, but just keep scrolling down, you get everything that you want there. I publish a, uh, a commentary, which is, seems increasingly to become uh, monthly as uh, circumstances become complex. Everything's addressed the, the current steps all addressed there in the right-hand column on the, on the homepage. We get into what's really happening behind the scenes and uh, what to look forward to in the uh, commentaries and, and the, an annual subscription for the commentaries is 175. The scroll down on what's happening day to day, that's uh, anyone who wants to log into the site, which is 
shadowstats.com. I can see a daily update, July 22nd to 26th, and then you've just got article after article. I feel like uh, you're, uh, you and uh, guys like uh, Mike Baloney and, and uh, you know, you're, you're um, kind of looking over uh, a Monopoly uh, board and, and you're watching five-year-olds play and uh, trying to anticipate uh, what they're going to do. And you're looking at uh, little Jerome and he rolls a deuce and, and you're like, okay, well, that puts him on B&O Ra- Railroad. He should buy it. And uh, then he moves the piece two pieces backwards. And you guys are like, wow, I didn't think he would do that. Well, what, what, do, we, what do we try to guess what he's going to do now? Is, it, <laughs> is that about what, uh, what this is like? You're, you're, dealing, you're dealing with highly intelligent, well-educated people here. Uh, the problem is they're, they're what's motivating them and what, what uh, powers are serving. And uh, I, I mean, I've got my opinions on that, which we probably touched on to a certain extent here. But what I can tell you is you've got to look after your self-interest. And what these guys are looking to do, the banking system's bankrupt. We, don't, we do not have a good future for us here, uh, either from an economic standpoint or an inflation standpoint. Uh, you have assets you want to protect by physical gold, by physical silver, and hold it, hold it, and just forget about it. And as the system rides out, it'll save you over time. Uh, that's the best best advice I can give you. And but by by the coins, you want to have something that's recognizable by people that you with whom you'd be bartering or trading. Okay. Buy something that uh, not just a a bar that says, you know, so many grams or whatever, because somebody's going to want to uh, assay that, which, I mean, it's, it's no great hush, no great Russian, you're willing to have it assayed, that's fine. But go- coins are recognized. Okay. Okay. My plan is, is in the future to trade this uh, metal for houses. I, I hope it works out. We'll see. Um, you may be able to trade a $20 gold piece for your next mansion. There you go. That's uh, that's the dream, sir. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you, Mr. Williams. This was a blast. Uh, go to shadowstats.com for more information. And um, yeah, thank you. To quote the uh, line from Office Space uh, with the two bobs, The pleasure is all on this side of the table, sir. As a side note, uh, you remember our guest, Jordan Royburn. Uh, He came on episode 10. We're going to have him back on. Uh, He he has a premium service where he analyzes junior gold mining companies. And uh, I signed up for it. And uh, holy God. That man knows how to find junior gold mining companies. He shows you the uh, ideal portfolio or the, uh, I forget what he calls it. It's the, uh, the main uh, uh, portfolio. And you can see exactly how much he's bet, how many shares, at what time, when he sells. He tells you all this in a weekly update. Uh, and he puts out these flash updates that uh, allow you to... Um, Um, you know, if something happens uh, on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, he'll throw out a little update so that you know what's going on Thursday morning. Um, It's, uh, I really like this service. It's $149 for six months and uh, well, well worth it. 
uh, I made some trades today, uh, Friday, just before the uh, just before the market closed, and a lot of it was based on his uh, recommendations. And looking, you can look back over his history. He has all 735 of his reports uh, there. And uh, you can look back over history and see his entry points, and it's um, quite intuitive. Another thing I really like about Jordan's system is when we had him on the show, I asked him uh, what his um, percentage of importance was on fundamentals and what it was on um, technicals. And he said 50-50. And so fundamentals are things like looking at a company who's managing it. Uh, what are their balance sheets? Uh, you know, what's their projections, uh, PE ratios, all that stuff. The fundamentals of the company, does it fundamentally, you know, look like it's going to succeed? And the technicals are reading the graphs and looking at moving averages and, um, you know, um, RSIs and, and, and uh, uh, resistance and supports. And I and Daniel understand the technical side. And so when he recommends a stock, I can look at the graphs and read them. I'm sure he can read them better than me. Uh, But after uh, going through Randall's class, uh, I recognize why he's entering these from a technical standpoint. And they're all spot on. I can't speak to the fundamental side. That's why I signed up for his service is because he's on the phone with guys like Alex Black, who we had on the show all the time. And he's coming up with, you know, he's analyzing uh, uh, drill uh, holes and, and, uh, you know, doing together calculations. And I mean, (laughs) when you read these reports, it's very impressive. Uh, But I can tell you uh, his capability as a technical trader uh, is is very very good and um, I'm gonna learn a lot so uh, if you want to check that out uh, I don't get anything from uh, 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 Jordan uh, not yet uh, but um, go to uh, the dailygold.com and uh, check just just get on his newsletter you know and you'll get uh, a few uh, videos or charts and and uh, uh, audio uh, content like that but um, I think that man is going to be extremely wealthy in the next decade. He already is, uh, but uh, that man knows what he's doing, and I, uh, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to ride the uh, coattails of uh, Superman. So uh, uh, anyhow, we got to have him uh, back on. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us. Uh, throw up a five-star review hit the little uh, thumbs up icon, uh, subscribe to the channel, hit the little bell, do all those bells and whistles and all that stuff. Put us up uh, towards the top of the list and uh, let's get the word out. Invest in your own education. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling a friend and thank you for tuning in. Here is your weekly motivational speech. How easy and how convenient is it for us to blame everything and everybody for the things that we have going on in our lives? There is a such thing as you being a positive and a great person with the best of intentions towards everybody. And shit is rough and you just can't get a break. But most of you, most of you 
waking up every day, looking for pain, dysfunction, drama, unemployment, being broke, struggling, dropping every excuse in the book about your childhood and the problems and dysfunction that you grew up in that's stopping you from becoming successful. The excuses are not valid. They aren't. They're conjured up. They're fabricated. They're lies. They are lies, all of them. You don't have time. That's a lie. You don't have support. That's a lie. You don't have the equipment or the gear. Lies. You don't you don't know the best way. Who cares? That's a lie. And there's you're too busy. Sure you are. We have all these new thoughts that come about. You start saying to yourself, I'm so alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. I'm the only one to ever go through something like this. I'm a mess up. I'm a failure. I'd be better off not being here. Nobody would miss me. I'm all alone right now. Why would anybody care if I was gone? Here I am. I'm just alone. We just keep feeding ourselves this toxic thinking. And literally what I've learned in these moments of anxiety is that I have to stop listening to myself and I have to start talking to myself. When you're going after your dreams, when you're going after your goals, there will be people, there will be things that you will have to overcome. The battle has just started. That very moment you feel like giving up is when you must think to yourself, why am I doing this? And then you will realize that you can't give up. It doesn't matter about what happens to you. What matters is, what are you going to do about it? When you leave, what you fighting for? What's your legacy? What you going to do? You say you're a champ, but do you practice like a champ? You say you're a champ, do you fight like a champ? You say you're a champ, do you have the mentality of a champ? You must build a mindset for success. A mindset that can endure pain, and struggle because it will come. Let me tell you something. My greatest moments didn't come from my greatest moments. My greatest moments came from my greatest defeats because it was during my defeat that I had to find a way to get back up.